Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, my friends. Hope everybody's doing great today. Hey, I have a friend that is in the hospital, and it got me to thinking about HIPAA laws and and being your own advocate and what do you do if somebody you know as a friend is the one that shows up at the hospital or or shows up at a a care community or somebody takes a fall in a memory unit or something and has to go to the hospital. And people wonder all the time, what is HIPAA? I I just got asked this yesterday. (laughs) And what it stands for is health insurance, portability, and accountability. And it was brought into play in 1996... And right now, I think it's safe to say it's one of the most widely used but least understood acronyms that we have in society. You know, every time you turn around, we're signing off on legislation. Um, Every time you see one of your medical providers, they're asking you to sign something and who can know and who cannot know. and, And you're like, well, anybody can know. No, anybody can't know. You have to say who you want and blah, blah, blah. Well, this became a federal law that literally affects every medical interaction you have anywhere in the country. It is maybe not Outside of the United States, I don't know whether it is or not, but in the United States, it's everywhere. And you have to understand it because as a caregiver, your ability to make what I would consider informed decisions on behalf of your loved one means you have to understand this information. You need to pull it up on the internet, you need to read it, you need to you need to find out because you can't help treat that person, you can't affect change for them, you can't get a doctor interested in in talking to them or looking at other ideas or discussing their health on any level in any way that is below the surface and superficial at all unless you're on somebody's designated list on this HIPAA deal, okay? So what happened essentially is that somebody decided that we needed to adopt national standards for electronic health care transactions. Okay, I get that. It's a good idea. One of my friends... Yvonne worked on stuff like that when she was working at Catholic Health Initiatives. And what they were trying to do was, A, protect somebody's privacy on their health information. If they don't want you to know, they don't want you to know. But on the other hand, it was designed to try to 
help the, I guess, congruent information is the best way I can think to describe it, that people could put into their computers and have someone else be able to see that information, say, if you were on vacation in Florida and you live in Colorado, okay, and you get in a car accident, you get hurt. They want to be able to pull information up into some humongous, ridiculously big database and be able to find information about you, okay? And Congress was trying to recognize that advances in electronic technology could be beneficial, but also erode your privacy. And they were trying to protect your health care records. That's kind of the bottom line, right? And when they addressed it, they brought up a couple of things that were important, okay? Like if someone has health care power of attorney for a person, can they obtain access to that individual's medical record? Well, at the time, yes, they could. So they had been given the health care power of attorney. And so by proxy, essentially, they could access those medical records. And, and there was no rules around it. But when a physician or someone else that was working with that person tried to access their information, they couldn't get it. And it, and it was tough because it kept information like domestic violence, abuse, or neglect by that person that was the POA, the power of attorney. It could keep all that silent. So if they were treating a person as an individual and they were accessing or releasing or anything else that was personal information that could endanger that person, the doctor could say, well, I don't want to treat that person because I don't want to be involved in this. They could exercise their professional judgment about whether or not they wanted to be involved in the best interest of that person, if that makes sense. So bringing in the the HIPAA Act allows somebody, let's just use a domestic abuse situation, to sign something or let a doctor know that they don't want their spouse to have information or or they don't want the doctor to share information with that spouse. Now, that's a sticky situation anyway. I mean, because if you have an abusive partner 
and they now know they're locked out. They know you could be telling that person something, but that's neither here nor there. It is what it is. But it gives that doctor the ability to maybe even call the police on their behalf so they don't even have to leave the doctor's office. It 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 really helps that person to be able to keep secret or quiet what they don't want a spouse to know. I suppose this has nothing to do with, you know, dementia or anything in this way, but I just wanted to explain where this all kind of came to play. Uh, It could also help if somebody was pregnant and they didn't want someone to know, if they have cancer and they don't want someone to know. So... It allows the doctor to be the personal representative as well. It also changes the way a person can grant another person health care power of attorney to a degree. And not to a degree. So let me explain that. So nothing in the HIPAA information changes the way a person who is granted power of attorney for healthcare decisions. That falls to the state laws regarding those POAs to continue to apply. So what that means is the intent of any provisions in a written POA regarding a person's personal representative was supposed to be able to complement what that person needs, not interfere with or change it. So what I mean by that is if that person is not incapacitated, you shouldn't be meddling in their affairs anyway. You you should adhere to whatever the provisions are for that POA to be enacted. And typically, that would mean that you would wait until that person can't make decisions on their own, if they are unconscious, if they are um, struggling with cognitive disabilities, if if they're not understanding, you know, what they're signing from a legal standpoint and those kind of things, then you can step in. I hope that makes some sense. But if they're of sound mind, you you don't have the right to do that. If they have the ability to exercise their own personal rights or make treatment decisions on their own, then they have the right, even if you have a power of attorney that has been has been enacted, uh, has been written up and and signed and all that, but they are not in any way cognitively impaired or unable to make their own decisions, then you can't step in and just know. They have the right to have that HIPAA 
enacted so they have privacy from you or anybody else who wants to help them. And so the privacy rules around it generally, for the most part, grant people who have authority to make health decisions for someone else under law and have the ability to exercise that right with respect to the health information for that person, then it's a game changer. So you have to check with your attorney, your insurance agent, your health care provider, and and so forth to find out in that legalese if they think you are competent enough to make your own decisions and to decide for yourself about your health care. And if you are, then you don't need that power of attorney to step in and you can keep your information private. But if they find out that you have some other underlying comorbidity, like a um, type of dementia of, of, of some type, a disease, dementia disease, like Alzheimer's or Lewy body or frontal temporal Parkinson's disease, and you're not able to make your decisions, then you can step in and make decisions for them. This gets so dicey. Because I find so many of my clients who call me on the back end, they call me when things are already way down the road and and it's hard to make some changes or they haven't really carried on conversations with their people with a diagnosis very well in the beginning. And now those people are trying to shut them out when they're talking to doctors. That happens a lot. Anyway, I hope that makes some sense because the power of attorney is there to hopefully provide some peace of mind for whoever it is that's having problems and thinks that down the road they might need somebody to make some decisions for them. But it better be somebody you trust. It doesn't have to be a family member. It can be a good friend. It can be you know, whoever you need. Maybe you don't have a family member. But think about those kinds of things because that that HIPAA law is put there to protect you, to protect your information. It wasn't meant to block out people that care, but it can do that if you want it to. If you have people that you don't think do care. If you have people that are putting you in danger. So these are important things that I want you to think about and and understand. And if and if I, this didn't make it clear for you where where the lines are, then just Google it. It's HIPPA. Put in HIPAA 1996 and the information will all come up about what it was intended for, what it was not intended for, why we were trying to, you know, get all this in play so that we make sure people feel like they still have some control over their health care without having people they don't want to 
to interfere with their care. And and seriously, this all came about from basically negative cases. Abuse, abortion, whatever. Uh, people that felt like they wanted to keep their information secret. The rest of it was all kind of an afterthought, like connecting the the hospital systems to each other so you can access information when you need to. So in addition to that, I've talked about the power of attorney. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have Clara Lee on again, Clara Lee Charlton, an attorney that I trust implicitly, who always gives me great information for all of you and goes deep into trust and power of attorney and uh, when somebody gets a divorce or doesn't have anybody that can care for them, how it moves in a different realm to guardianship and conservatorship. And what do those mean? Uh it all plays together. You need to know. <clears throat> you can't put your head in the sand and not know. But if you, I'll just tell you this briefly. If you don't have someone that can take care of you and kind of man, uh, mind your affairs for you, you might have to have one implemented for you or you can move to a situation where you have somebody that can pay your bills and clean your house and manage your health care and all of that. And that typically comes in the form of those two um, directives. So uh, a guardian is somebody who takes care of your health issues and oversees your doctor appointments um, your medications, your health in general, your diagnosis, your um, care that you get, anything having to do with your care. They, a guardian is about you and your well-being and your health. A conservator is somebody who is taking care of your finances. And if you have enough finances where you are semi-wealthy or wealthy or what have you, um, and the court appoints a conservator or, or appoints somebody that you've chosen, they will do a background check. They will vet these persons inside and out because what that person's charge is is that they're going to do a forensic study of all your bank accounts and your investments and savings and everything that you have, and they will look at all that information. And in both cases, whatever they uncover, they have to submit to the court on a monthly basis. So if it's the conservator, they have to keep all the receipts, everything you do. If you buy something from the local 
you know, ice cream man that comes around playing that music in his truck, you have to keep the receipt. And you have to show the court that you're not taking any cash or anything out that that person is not aware of. This is a lot of information, but I really wanted to try to explain it as much as I could and help you to understand it a little bit. I haven't talked about it at all on the show, uh, but I wanted you to, to maybe understand why when you go in to look at this information or you go into a doctor's appointment, if you're not on that HIPAA thread, you're out. You get no information, none, none at all. So understand this, figure it out. I'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988, to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so I told you that in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have Clara Lee Charlton on and have her line out all the specifics of all the legal ease and and uh, just items that we have to go through. But I wanted to talk a little bit about, just as a precursor, about the power of attorney, how to talk to somebody that has dementia to see if you can get it, um, why you would want to, and then also insurances. I got a call the other night, somebody who's 53 years old, who listens to the show, I didn't know her from Adam, um, wanted to know if she should buy long-term care insurance and said that the long-term care insurance company that she was working with wanted her to pay $146,000 for like a one lump sum for this long-term care insurance. (laughs) And I was kind of blown away by that. Like, well, first of all, who the hell has $146,000? I don't. No, I don't have that in my bank account ready to roll. You know, I guess maybe if you're a professional sports player or (laughs) I don't know. But uh, 
here's here's the hard thing on that. And I will tell you the advice I gave this person. About 20 years ago, I will say, there were about 115 different companies in the United States and around the world that provided long-term care insurance. And it was a beautiful thing if your person went into an assisted living or a memory unit because it paid thousands per month. And if you had a pension or something else, uh, if you'd been in the military, everything could supplement this and you could live pretty comfortably for six, eight years if that's what it took to be in assisted living or a memory unit. Well, the last time I looked, which was about five or six years ago, there were only less than 10 now. So it went from 115 companies to 10. And it isn't because these big companies bought out all these plans and just wanted to become big conglomerates. It's because the price of living in a memory unit or assisted living has gone up exponentially. And I mean that in every sense of the word. It went from 3000 to 4000 you know, 20 years ago to now it's anywhere between 6000 and 10000 And all these communities are charging community fees on top of it, which I just find total BS. It makes me nuts. But uh, it is what it is. So what happened was they were taking payments from people and hoping that if you got it young, if you if you bought the insurance when you were at a young age, that you would have enough money built up to live for you know, five to 10 years in a community. So if you start paying for this at about 25 or 30 years old, and believe it or not, uh, back in the last century, in the, oh, especially like the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, people did that. Young people bought long-term care insurance. It was just something you would buy like life insurance. I don't even know if people buy life insurance anymore. Seriously. I don't know if in today's society anybody's doing any of that. If you're working for yourself, you're not doing it. And that isn't going to benefit you down the road. If you are working in a job where they're doing a an IRA, a 401k, something like that, and you're paying into it, and hopefully your boss, your company is is meeting you halfway, paying anywhere from, you know, 4 to 6% matching what you're putting in. If you don't have that, what are you doing? If you're doing nothing, you're, you're going to have your ass in a sling, essentially, uh, because it's not going... You're not going to have any money 
by the time you go to retire or want to retire. And even having a retirement fund is the whole whole nother thing. And just insurance isn't going to cover it because if you leave your work and you have insurance with that work, you get COBRA for a couple of months, but then you have to pay insurance out of pocket and it's crazy expensive. I mean, outrageously expensive. Uh, so you can kind of compare it to what the costs were years ago with, um, you know, paying for this long-term care insurance. So just getting insurance now, if you don't have a company that's paying you, you could pay upwards of $24,000 a year. And that's about what the costs were per person, by the way. So people were paying anywhere from, you know, 12000 per person in the early days a year, 1000 a year, to 2000 a year. So what you were trying to get was, you know, $24,000 a year. And then uh, as you as – you, worked on that at four years, you'd have close to $100,000 in it. And if you did it for eight years, then you'd have $200,000 and you see how this goes. Well, what happened was as these got super expensive, the 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 nursing homes, the, the care communities, the group homes got super expensive. They're not $24,000 a year. They're not $48,000 a year. They're not $60,000 a year. Today, they are anywhere from $72,000 to $100,000 a year. So that's only one, one year. So even this lady paying in $146,000... Right now, that's only going to buy her two years. That's, that's not feasible. That's not feasible. So lately, I've been taking some young people that I know to a friend of mine who works for um, Edward Jones. And Stacy Heath, a little shout out to you. Uh, and the reason is because I told this lady on the phone that if she could put away $250, and I, I took a friend who's 39 years old, and uh, I'm going to back up a second. Let me digress here. I, I took a friend who's 39 years old with a 15-year-old daughter, and Stacy showed her through Edward Jones that if she invested that money and you have to let it ride, you can't take it out when things are bad, you you know, you can't cash it in when things are good. You have to let it ride over like 20 or 30 years. But if she could put in $250, she would have about a hundred grand when she goes to retire. So can you imagine the lady who has $146,000 to put in investing, that could make her millions. The difference is that she's 53. My young friend that I'm mentoring is 39. 
at 53, it's hard to get long-term care insurance anyway because you may have some pre-existing condition or you could have a family history of dementia or something, and believe me, they will find it, thanks to the things I talked about in the first segment of the podcast today, the HIPAA laws and all that kind of stuff. And being able to have computers talk to each other, they have access to your information. And if they had you put in family history, which they always do, you have to fill out five forms every time you go to the doctor. Do you have any family history of asthma? Do you have any family history of Alzheimer's? Do you have any family history of cancer, diabetes, blah, 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 goes on and on, right? You fill all that out, they put it into the computer and and they use it against you later and tell you that, you know, now you can't get it or it costs this ridiculous amount of money. So I said to this lady, if I were you, I would go to an Ameritrade or a Edward Jones or something like that and invest that money. That's a lot of money. And let that money... Uh, and you can even uh, pick some of the things. You can go through and pick, you know, what kind of investments you want to make. Oh, I wish now in my moment of extreme clarity and brilliance, I would have picked Starbucks a long time ago. Or um, Amazon, who is taking over the world now. If you get in on something like that, when it's a young company before it goes public and then it goes public, you will make a boatload of money. So we all need to look at that uh, best new idea. Watch Shark Tank. That show is totally backwards. People look at that show and think that the contestants are getting the deal of the century when somebody invests in their company. When truly what it is, is those rich investors are looking for things that keep them rich and make them richer. (laughs) And they're trying to find that best new idea that they can take from its inception and grow it into a company that wants to be public someday. They sell warrants on it. You buy enough warrants, then you can become a publicly traded company. And that's when you need to get in on the deal. And purchase those those things. Buy into that company's ideas and help help your money grow that way. So really, that show is about those investors finding the best new ideas. And when you're watching it, think about it from that standpoint, that they're going to take that company and try and make it be on every grocery store, you know, chain, shelf, in the world. And if they can do that, then they're going to make a crazy amount of money. So if you decide to invest money instead of putting it into a long-term care plan, you could have, you know, several hundred thousand. You could have a couple million by the time you actually need it. So if she needs it at 73, 20 years from now, that money could grow like crazy. So I told her, skip the long-term care insurance plan and go invest that money and then put that money into a trust at some point that pays for your care down the line. That's what I would do. That's what I have done. That's, That's what I've done, that exact plan. Because I can't get long-term insurance because my mom and several of my family members 
have had a diagnosis of some type of dementia. So I'm excluded from it. I have to have another plan. So these are the things that you really have to think about and how are they going to affect you down the line. So my big worry is to those of you who have paid into a long-term care plan and oh my gosh, I tell you folks, over the last seven years that I've had my company, I've had at least a dozen calls from family members who told me that their parent had paid into long-term care insurance for years, but when they got Alzheimer's, they missed a couple payments, the plan got discontinued, and they had paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars over 20 years, and that company just kept the money, and they're out. They, they don't get to use any of it because they let the plan lapse. Oh, yeah, it happens. So sometimes you have to sneak into the conversation, you know, like, hey, mom, if if something should ever happen to you, what would you like? What would you want me to do? Would you want me to give you medical advice? Would you want me to be able to talk to the doctors? Would you be willing to give me medical power of attorney and, you know, for property and things like that. If you, if you bring it up to somebody that way, hopefully they wouldn't fight you or oppose you on it because nobody wants to go through any experiences like that, right? You need to really think about it. If you have somebody with, with any type of dementia that causes memory loss And you need to talk about it early because you need to plan. If you plan, you're at a huge advantage. And if you don't take that opportunity to get your person involved because you don't realize what a cluster, you know what, it's going to become down the line and you wait too long, you end up in a crisis and you're trying to figure out how to make those decisions. And I'm telling you, my friends, that is not the best time. That is not the best time to do it. You better plan it out and know where you're headed. There's resources out there that will help you with all of this. You know, call a local attorney, call somebody and find out. You don't want all these headaches. You don't want all the complexities of the healthcare system when it's happening because it's so fragmented right now. You you can get screwed over so bad. I bet if I go on and look now, the 10 that were of that were long-term healthcare companies that were available 6 7 years ago is probably down to 2 or 3. And what's happening is they're going out of business and they could go out of business with all the money you've given them over the years and you don't get a dime. They're not even going to be in business by the time you you get it. So if you can get in there and pull that money out, I would. I would invest it because, you know, a lot of times there's no insurance coverage at all for assisted living and private care. And so they're trying to get you to decide whether you would want it for 
a care community down the road or private care in your home, and they won't let you have it both ways. You have to try to figure it out. And the out-of-pocket expense is unbelievable. It will break you. I promise you it will break you. Assisted livings, unfortunately, are crazy expensive. And if you have the means to pay it, good for you. But a lot of people can't. A lot of people don't have any options. And there isn't very many ways to get more funding or assistance or to get in-home care or respite care. They're all, you know, minimal and one, one-offs and things like that. I mean, you might have to find volunteers that can help and, and, and you know, go to the store for somebody or, or be a companion for them. But when you have to hire help, that long-term care insurance may not pay for it. Look at the fine print on your long-term care policies. It's important to plan. It's just not as important to have long-term care insurance. Don't misunderstand me. Plan, invest, put money in a cookie jar. I don't care what you have to do. But don't think you won't ever need it. You will. I'm telling you, by the time you get in your 60s, your body starts falling apart. Things aren't working quite as good. You're losing your eyesight. You've got arthritis. You've broken something. You can't get up. You can't use, you know, crutches. You might have to have a wheelchair. You need insurance for all that kind of stuff. So get health insurance that will cover it and read all the fine print. What they will cover, what they won't cover. I had to do that for my sister recently. Uh, a couple of years ago when she was trying to get a new health care plan, I found out she was dramatically underinsured for even hospital visits. From the minute she walked into the ER, the minute those sliding doors opened, she had she owed $1,000 out of pocket. And, and people, please, you just don't realize what your policies cover and don't cover. Don't be in the dark. Look at it all. And especially if you have those long-term care insurance plans. If you don't do the legal stuff right, if you don't do the insurance right, if you don't invest right, you're going to learn the hard way. I don't want you to learn the hard way. When you're not having any problems, when you're really not having any issues, you don't think about things. You need to find somebody who specializes in elder law. You need to know what trusts are. You need to understand whose name the house is in. You need to understand how expensive nursing homes are. You need to understand about Medicaid. 
I mean, people, please get an elder law attorney, get the proper procedures done, understand what you're signing. If you don't, you could really be in trouble. You really could. I don't want you to be in trouble. If you think your person's going to need a care community at some point, you need to go out and and look at several places, you know, come in on them as a surprise, uh, really see what they're doing late in the afternoon on a Friday, um, find out what the costs are, and and ask questions like, if I'm there for a month and I can't get down to dinner, you know, two or three times a month, is there an extra charge for that? Oh, yeah, there is. If you're in assisted living and you are sick or something, you only get like three times a month that you don't go down to the dining room. If they have to bring it to you, it's another $50 charge. All that stuff can add up. I have a person that has a pension. This is a client who has a pension of $7,200. And would you believe she had something like $40,000 in savings. And in one quarter of 2022, that community that she moved into on these extra charges she didn't know she was going to have, and they upped her rate after just like 60 days when there had been no change in her condition. And she's fine. She doesn't have Alzheimer's or anything. Um, but she's a single person with no children. She ended up uh, paying her entire life savings, $40,000, to this community. And her $7,200 pension every month, which should be enough for her to live on for the rest of her days, was running, was running low. Her now new daily cost after just three months had gone up $2,000 and the woman is out of money. And thank God, really, thank God, that she has a young neighbor who's in her 30s who cares about her and called me and said, I need help. And we're getting her moved to a much better community. She's moving at the end of this month where her base rate is around $4,300, but it's a continuum of care. So if she has to move to the memory care, it's right across the parking lot in another building. And we're able to get her payments down to where she can live there for the rest of her days and never hit that 7200 total pension that she has. And it's a good thing because her savings is gone. Don't get caught. Do your homework. The price of communities is going up every day, every day. And you are upwards of seven or $8,000 at this point in time per month. If you times that by 12, you can see where that goes. That's $96,000 at that rate. All right, that's my soapbox for today. I hope you've learned something and you have a better idea about how all this works. And 
in a couple of weeks, I promise I'm going to have Clara Lee on here and we're going to go deep into every single one of these. When does the power of attorney expire and what happens after that? And what kind of help do you need after the person has passed away when all the bills start rolling in and all that information starts coming into play? I will have all of that in the next upcoming weeks and months for you on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. I'll see you next week, friends. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.